Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. My name is John Abernathy. I'm the care pastor here at Wildwood. Mark is with Joshua and Kimberly at family camp after touring around uh, state parks in Utah. So I am honored to be here this morning. You guys are my family. You are my friends. Uh, Lori and I, we've been here uh, 16, a little over 16 years, and we just love doing life with you guys. So we're honored um, to be a part of this church family. Um, Lord, we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to study um, and continue the series that Mark has been teaching in, the Sermon on the Mount. So open up your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some in the seat backs in front of you. Let me pray for our teaching time. God, we pray that you would be glorified as we open your word, Lord, that your word would be living and active, that it would be changing us, that it would be cutting us to the quick, that it would be encouraging us, it would be teaching us, it would be leading us. Lord, again, we pray that we would be teachable. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I joke that sometimes Mark... Um, when I preach in the summer, when he leaves, that he gives me the difficult passage, and it just happens to fall on the time when he goes on vacation. This might be another one of those times. It won't be as bad as First Peter 3 was last year with the men and the women, but it's a little intense this morning as well. Uh, we're picking up this, this Sermon on the Mount quite a ways into it. So what I want to do is recap a little bit. Uh, Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5 and 6. He taught on what we call the Beatitudes, the blessed are truths. He taught that they are to be salt and light. He taught on anger, lust, divorce, oaths. He taught on loving and praying for your enemies. He said, don't practice your righteousness to be seen. He gave the Lord's prayer. He talked about laying up treasure in heaven and not on earth. You guys may remember these. He taught on not being anxious. So that brings us to our section where we are today in Matthew 7. Matthew 7 says this, "'Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye?' You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. We're going to see two main points here. We're going to see Jesus say, don't judge, and get the log out of your own eye. Again, a little intense this morning. Now, remember where they were. I think I have uh, a picture here, the followers of Jesus have left the crowds. In Matthew 4, there were crowds. Matthew 5, Jesus goes up on the mountaintop and takes his followers with him, okay? Um, that's actually like Thunderbird. If you guys haven't been to the… <laughs> if you haven't been to the east side of the lake, you're missing out. 
You guys just stop at the Twin Bridges and you miss it. So, um, no, that is actually the, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee where we think Jesus was teaching the, the Sermon on the Mount to his followers. Uh, the command to not judge in this passage, again, is given in a larger context of this sermon. And I want to read to you some of the things Jesus has already said to his followers as they sit under his teaching. He said this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the, poor, the pure, excuse me, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He said, you have heard it was said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, everyone that is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. He says, be full of mercy, be pure in heart. Be a peacemaker. He says we're guilty of things like murder and lust and we're in need of forgiveness. Remember, we're sitting under his teaching. He says we're to love our enemies, not to do our good works just to be seen. He says we're to seek first God's kingdom. You see, Jesus desires true inward heart chains for us to have hearts of mercy, for us to be pure in our hearts because merciful, pure hearts will not be criticizers, will not be Judgers. We're going to get to that in a second. He desires that we're peacemakers. He said, those are God's sons, the peacemakers. He said, if you're angry, you have murdered. If we have lusted, we have committed adultery. It's clear by his teaching that we can't do these things. There is a need for a savior. He turns revenge on his head. He says, love your enemies. He says, pray for those who persecute you. It's impossible without heart change. It's impossible without a savior. He says, don't fake any of this change just by looking like it on the outside. Don't act righteous so that people will see you. Seek true inward righteousness and God's kingdom and your outward actions will change. This is in contrast to the religious leaders, to the scribes, to the Pharisees. Not only a contrast, but these truths were given with authority. Uh, in the last verses in the section of the Sermon on the Mount, 28 and 29, Jesus um, finishes teaching and it says, the crowds are astonished at his teaching because he taught as one with authority. The contrast with the Pharisees is significant. MacArthur says this, he says, the Pharisees were so proud and so self-styled and so self-righteous and so smug and so convinced of their own superiority that one of the natural results of that was that they became totally condemning and judgmental of everybody else. They were self-righteous. They found their righteousness in what they did, not in the Savior, and it caused them to be judgmental. 
He goes on to say, anytime a person, a man or a woman, <clears throat> invents a system of morality, then they become the judge that sits on the throne of that system and determines whether anybody else qualifies or not. And that's exactly what happened in the Pharisees' case. They became oppressively judgmental of other people. They condemned and they criticized. They were censorious. They were unmerciful and forgiving. They were unkind. They were lacking grace in their constant carping criticism of everybody who didn't come up to their own standard. They lacked grace. They constantly criticized. They didn't know God as gracious and merciful, having not experienced his grace, so they condemned other people who didn't live up to the standards that they had set. They didn't experience forgiveness, so they couldn't forgive others. They became criticizers, people who judged. Later in his ministry, Jesus is going to tell a parable in Luke chapter 18. If you would flip there in your Bibles, just over a few pages to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9. And it starts out by saying who he told the parable to. Listen to this. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Don't miss that. Who's the audience? The audience is the Pharisees. And he says that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. So they trusted in themselves for their salvation. They thought they could obtain God's righteousness by keeping the law not by faith, but by their works. Well, if you trust in yourself that you're righteous, then you treat others with contempt because you did something to become righteous. You did something religious or you followed a rule or you acted pious. You have trust in what you did that makes you righteous. It's a denial of God's power and his grace and his working. It's putting the law ahead of forgiveness. And if you made yourself righteous, then when you see people that aren't as holy as you, they aren't following the rules like you, you look down on them. The verse says you treat them with contempt. Contempt is the feeling that a person or a thing is worthless or beneath consideration. So these people in Luke 18 trusted in themselves for righteousness and they treated others as worthless. Let's look at the whole thing. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Verse 13, but even the tax collector standing far off would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So in this parable, it starts out with two men going up into the temple to pray. It sounds sort of like a joke. Two men go to the temple to pray, but it's not. It's really serious. 
okay? One of these is a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. One of these is a tax collector uh, looked down on in his society, right? It says the Pharisee is standing off by himself in the temple. And then he begins to pray, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Wow, right? What way does he think he's different? Maybe not as sinful, maybe more righteous. He goes on to say, I fast twice a week, give tithes of all that I get, right? That's more than he has to under the law. He tells God who knows all things that he does more than he needs to do. He did even more religious actions than God required. But the tax collector, look at him. He's in the temple, he's in the house of God, but he still stands far off. He won't even look up to where God is. He is upset. He beats his chest. He says he begs for God's mercy to him. He acknowledges that he's a sinner. What's the result? God hears his prayer. Justification, the forgiveness comes from understanding that we're sinful and crying out for God's mercy. God forgives then through Christ, not through works. The tax collector has true humility. It says that the Pharisee wasn't justified. Why? Because he trusted in his works and not the Lord to save him. That's the significant truth given by Jesus. The religious people were mistaken in their faith. They trusted in the wrong things. On top of him not being justified, it caused him to judge others, to condemn them, to view them as worthless. And he said, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. What was the tax collector's view of the Pharisee? Doesn't say. Has no bearing on him. He's not even noticing other people. He's too busy crying out to God for the forgiveness of his sin to even come close to the other people. He doesn't mention the Pharisee at all. Turn back with me to Matthew 7. It says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Jesus then restates it. He says, whatever is your measuring stick for someone else's righteousness, it is then going to be measured to you. This is serious, right? Judging someone and holding them to a works-based righteousness will get you judged. And he says, the scale that you use to measure righteousness will then be used to measure yours. Our response is not, well, I wonder what it means to measure or that it's going to be measured to me. Right, let's parse this text and see exactly what that says. The response is, I shouldn't judge. Right? Jesus just said, don't judge. Seems pretty simple, right? Don't judge. Got it. We can go home. We're 30 minutes early. John do this every Sunday? Right? Don't judge. Right? Well, you're about to see why I'm... Uh, I hope you've... Well, it's going to get a little bit difficult right now, and this is maybe why... Maybe by next July you'll forget that I did this, but... Um, <laughs> How do I know if I'm judgmental? Don't judge. Well, how do I know if I am? Well, what words come out of your mouth? 
right? The scripture says in Luke 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the heart is rotten, judgment comes out of the mouth. You can't hide a judgmental attitude. It's going to flow out in the things that you say. The critical attitude will come out. How else do I know if I have a judgmental attitude? Well, when I interact with people, do I treat them with contempt, either out loud or in my heart or in my mind? Do I think, man, this person is so blank. This person is so slow. This person is so stupid. This person's an idiot. This, I, I, they're not holy, right? Do you have these thoughts and you think of people with contempt? That's a judgmental attitude in how we think, right? Well, Jesus is about to get more intense. He says, get your log out. Don't judge, don't be judgmental, and oh, by the way, get your log out. It says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. How can you even say to someone, hey, you've got this issue, you've got this speck when your life and your eyes are all clogged up with this pole, this beam, right? Son of a carpenter using an illustration of the beam in the eye. You can't see clearly. You can't see anything. Right? I thought about having a beam up here, but I thought I might drop it or something. But imagine if I had a large beam sticking out of my eye. I can't see anything. He says, you're a hypocrite. You're telling somebody that you're going to help them or to do something with your sin when you have sin. He says, deal with your log first. How do we do it? How do we do what he says? How do we get the log out of our own eye? Well, we, we have to recognize that we have a log in our eye. We have to recognize our sin and we have to receive Christ's forgiveness. First of all, recognize your sin. You have to believe that you have a log in your eye, right? Right now, if you're thinking of, again, who you're going to have listened to this podcast because they're judgmental, (laughs) you might have a log in your eye that you don't know, right? (laughs) Ask the Lord to show it to you, right? Do I have sin in my life, Lord? Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Bruce is going to preach on the next part of chapter 7 when it talks about the goodness of God next week. If you believe God is good, you can really pray that. Right? You can really pray, search me and know me, see if there's something in me that needs to change. Because you believe God is good and he wants you to come to repentance and he will show you that. So you recognize that you have this sin, this log, then you receive Christ's forgiveness. You accept his grace. But be careful. Right? There's another section of Scripture where Jesus calls people hypocrites. This is in Matthew 23. And he's talking to the Pharisees again. It's maybe a side of Jesus that you haven't seen before. He says this, Matthew 23, verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, 
but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear outwardly beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is serious about not trying to look good just for other people, trying to appear religious, trying to appear like we are perfect. He calls them blind, dirty inside. He said they're like graves that have been painted white, but they're full of death. He calls them hypocrites. What's the big issue? They didn't change the inside of their life. They just changed their outward behavior. He wants the inside to be clean. He doesn't want us to fake righteousness. Don't put on a church face. He wants you to experience life-giving, eternal, true forgiveness and change that Christ offers. His death and his resurrection can clean us inside. He says, get the log out. You know, part of doing this is receiving Christ's forgiveness. There's a section of Scripture in Psalm 51, if you would turn there, turn to Psalm 51, where David cries out after Nathan confronts him. Remember, David's ready to judge somebody else. Nathan confronts him, and it's him. And then he writes Psalm 51. right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Sound familiar? It sounds like the tax collector. Have mercy on me. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Remember, David is a man after God's own heart who has sinned and been caught in his sin. Look at the order of what happens here. He says, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love, for I know my transgressions. Against you and you only have I sinned 
Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. At the very end, right? He needs change. He needs true change from the Lord, and he recognizes that, and he cries out to God to forgive him. Then we seek to help others. Back to Matthew 7. Flip back. Back to our passage. It says, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? He says, Take the log out of ours, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Interesting. So there is a time when we're going to help a brother with an issue, but it's way down the road after the log is out of our eyes. How do we help them? How do we help our brother with their speck? Well, Galatians tells us that we are to restore in a spirit of gentleness, that we are to keep watch on ourselves lest we will be tempted, might be tempted through pride or maybe what they're struggling through in sin. But it says you are to be gentle, you are to watch yourself, and you are to bear one another's burdens, right? So there is this picture of somebody helping and, and carrying the burden along with that person, right? He says you're to be gentle. Matthew 18 gives an order um, that you're to go to that person in sin first, one-on-one, right? Why? It's not about outward it's about the issue they're struggling with that you want to help. So it says you go one-on-one, and then if that isn't working, if they don't listen to you, then we'll go a different direction. That's in 15 through 17 in Matthew. Right? So there is a time when we help our brother, and we do it gently. We do it humbly. We go to them, and we say, hey, I noticed this. It may or may not be true. Let's talk about this for a second. I'm right here with you. Now, there's some ways that this passage might be misinterpreted or taken out of context. You may be thinking of that, right? Um, It might be used to justify a lifestyle or a worldview or maybe even everything being relative, right? What do I mean by that? Hey, don't judge me, Christians, right? Hey, don't judge me. I'll do or believe what I want to. What I think is right, you just keep to yourself and do your thing. Don't judge me. That's in the Bible, right? Um, It's taking the passage out of the context. It wasn't Jesus telling his followers, there is no absolute truth. There's no, uh, everything is relative, so don't judge people. He has already said he's the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The way is narrow, right? He speaks of righteousness, of holiness, of repentance. He talks about these things. All right, so that, that is out of context as to what Jesus is telling them. Uh, it might be used, this passage, maybe to judge someone else. Like I said, if you're sitting there thinking, I better get the podcast for so-and-so, right? They're pretty judgmental, a little critical, and I may need to get that. Um, oops, right? I mean, Jesus wants you to do business with your sin. This morning is about, about you doing business with him about the log in your eye, right? Don't deflect this teaching. We all need this. Uh, maybe something that's like the first misinterpretation 
don't judge me might be used to say, hey, don't parent me, right? Don't pastor me. Don't teach me. Don't be my friend. Just don't judge me, right? It's not what the passage means. God is the one who ultimately judges in that way. Um, But we are called to help our brother, right? This passage is against being overly critical, judgmental, condemning, self-righteous, negative, being a gossip, being arrogant, being prideful. It is against those things. That is correct. But Scripture also teaches that we are to be discerning. We are to have convictions. We are to have principles and standards and uphold doctrines. We are to have theology. We are to evaluate. We are to counsel. We are to give discipline Uh, We are to teach, we are to train, we are to rebuke that there is absolute truth. You see the difference, right? It is the heart attitude and the heart being changed that Jesus is talking about. Um, The passage ends in verse 6 with this unique verse that says, Don't give to dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Maybe it's in this section because people who say, don't judge me, are not teachable. They're not listening to what you're saying anyway, right? Even Jesus himself at his trial, at points in his trial, chose not to speak, right? Constable says, Jesus taught his disciples not to be judgmental or censorious of one another in view of the high standards he was clarifying, okay? And you'll note that Romans 14 and James 4 passages up there. Those would be great to look up later. Um, As we just went through Romans, Romans 14, there's a message by Bruce and one by Mark that would be worth listening to on this subject of don't judging, don't judge. He didn't mean, Jesus, that they should accept everything and everyone uncritically. Neither did he mean, obviously, that parents, church leaders, and civil authorities are wrong if they pass judgment on those under their care, he meant that his disciples should not do God's job of passing judgment on his behalf when he has not authorized them to do so. God is the only true judge. We are called to not judge, to get the log out of our own eye. What we're going to do now is we're going to have a, a response time where we're going to ask you to bow your heads and um, to do business with the Lord, to ask him to show you places where you may have sin, to confess that sin, that log that's in your life, um, to ask him to restore you, to bring to you salvation and healing, to clean the inside of your cup, to bring alive the dead that's inside you through the blood of Christ. So this is going to be a time of confession for a few minutes. So we will be uh, confessing silently, and then I will come up and close us in prayer.
Father, we confess that we are judgmental, Lord, that we can be critical, we can be sarcastic, we can be hypocrites. Lord, we don't understand or live or walk in your grace and your forgiveness for us, and we are sorry. Lord, create in us a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit within us, a spirit that is full of grace and mercy, a spirit that is full of forgiveness toward others as you have forgiven us. Lord, help us to breathe that to everyone. Lord, change our spirit inside. Lord, we don't want to be hypocrites. Help us not to fake it, not put on a good face, but not deal with the sin. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to forgive us when we confess our sin to you. Lord, that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, but there is forgiveness and restoration. Lord, have mercy on us. We love you. We just pray that you would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.